Welcome in to the Amon Green Show on 93.7 The Ticket and theticketfm.com. 12-year NFL veteran. He's got some speed to go with strength. Huskers and Green Bay Packers Hall of Famer. Shovel pass to Green into Vikings territory. Finally brought down. And University of Nebraska eSports coach. Green all by himself. 20, 10, touchdown. 98 yards and a Lambo leap. Here is your host, Amon Green. Uh, hello, hello. Welcome to the Mon Green Show. I'm your host, Mon Green. Hello, my good friend, teammate, Austin. How you doing, Austin? Hey, G. I am good. How are you doing? How's the ankle coming along? Ankle is, uh, is, is 100%. Uh, stitches are out. Nice. So I'm back to moving and grooving again up and down stairs and doing a little extra because we're almost at the bitter end of this packing that's been going on for literally a month now. <laughs> a whole month, a whole month. As of July seventeenth is when I got here. June sixteenth, so we're over, we're over a month now. So that's like training yeah. camp, but like worse. Yeah, timing wise, yeah, yeah. It just is not worse only because I'm not wearing twenty pounds of gear, and sure. it's not over a hundred degrees every day. <laughs> and you're inside <laughs> and for outside. some of it, right? You got some AC going. Yeah, I, Exactly. I'm definitely inside at night because um, last last couple days I've done a lot of packing small stuff. So I've just been inside, sitting on a chair, throwing stuff in a box, taping it up. I say my box packing skills is on point right now. If oh, we yeah. had to have a competition, I'm, I'm bringing it home. You know? <laughs> I'm doing it. So me and my wife have been doing that. Uh, that's going good. Uh, Easier to tape a box this- or an ankle? <laughs> Good question. I would say the box. Okay. Easy. Ankle, you know, you got to know, you got like, I, cause I, I remember when I got, when I first had the cut and I went in the doctor's office, they wrapped it up, you know, do the stitches on there and they put the ACE bandage on it. Mm-hmm. And so it took me back to, I was looking at the lady wrap my, my ankle. And I was like, took me, of course, takes me back to my football days right before practice, right before a game, getting my ankles taped. And I always knew a good uh, ankle taper by the way they taped the ankle, how firm the tape job was. If it was too loose, like it's like a good, perfect line of being just firm enough, but not too tight and not too loose. And so we had some good trainers there in Lincoln. And then when I got to Green Bay here, actually in Seattle, I had a guy, he was in Green Bay. His name was Sam Rastin. Shout out to Sam. But then when I got here to Green Bay, um, one of the trainers, And uh, we called him Flea because he had the same blonde hair, like <laughs> as a flea from Red Hot Chili Peppers. Yeah. <laughs> so kind of blondish red or whatever. He was from Illinois, and we both were Walter Payton fans. So we were like, "Oh my God, did we just become best friends?" Yes, we did. <laughs> we had that moment, you know. And so he taped my ankles here all the, you know, every for all the games I had as a Packer. So good friends. I watched his kids grow up. He has three boys. There, one of them, I think, is probably 23 now. I think he was born in 2000, born in 99, 23 or 24. And the other two are like 18 and 17, somewhere around there. So, mm. but yeah, I'll say taping a box, you could you could come off the top, you could come off hot with the box. My wife has been frustrated because we have these, you know, the, the rollers that you put uh-huh. the tape in. And oh, yeah. Like the, like the professional thing. We got two of those. Good. And she does, and it doesn't, 
well, one of them doesn't work well with her. <laughs> it's a red. <laughs> we have a red one and a green one, and it's the red one that it doesn't cut the tape like it should, and so um. she's end up pulling it down, and then a whole all this slack of tape shows up, and then. She, then she's not happy. Oh no! <laughs> she's like, she's like, God dang it! Like I'm like, I was like, babe, you gotta slow down, and you gotta have patience, which she doesn't have at this. And doing this, she has zero patience. <laughs> Is has the patience gone down after a month? Was it was it better when things were just getting started? Oh yeah, no, she has zero patience. It's no. gone. <laughs> it's gone. <laughs> we, she's unfortunately like she's been here since I left, so January, That's packing right. up stuff. So for her, she has it's like it, patience is it's just a word to her. <laughs> <laughs> not a concept, not a thing, just a word. Not a yeah, not a thing, not a not a value, uh, not something <laughs> you try to you try to look for to get through the situation. Nah, she's like, nah, I'm I'm, I'm done with this. That's where she's at on it. <laughs> oh man, I know uh, we were talking earlier. So what's the updates on Nebraska sports and everything? We'll start. Yeah, we'll we'll start in your realm with football. Um, the Ooh. the latest Hall of Fame class was announced earlier this week. Um, nice. so what they did was they took one person from the 1980s, one from the 90s, a couple from 2000 to 2006, and then a couple from. 2007 to 2013. Uh, the 1980s one was defensive tackle David Clark. Um, okay. David Clark, uh, his stats are somewhere. Uh, three-time letter winner, um, 40 tackles, uh, nine for a loss as a senior. Uh, first team all big eight, so there's that. Uh, guy you probably know more, we actually had on Old School yesterday. Troy Dumas made it into the Hall of Fame. Ooh, awesome. Great dude. Yeah, yeah. what, do you, know, what do you know? you know about Troy? What do you remember about him? That he was the biggest linebacker I ever saw <laughs> when I was in high school. I was like, he's a linebacker? Oh, my <laughs> goodness. They make him special at this level. I was, like, amazed by his size and his ability. And then once I got a chance to meet him, fantastic dude, fantastic guy, family man, and just real down to earth. And he had this quiet, like, it was more of a quiet voice, uh, a quiet demeanor about him. But on that football field, yeah, he, he turned it up a notch. I remember re- I love seeing the pit, you know, I'm glad that the Wyoming quarterback is okay, but it was when they hit him and somebody else hit the Wyoming quarterback and that helmet, the face mask was like broken because of, of the way Troy jumped on his, basically jumped on his head. I think it was maybe, <laughs> it might have been Toby Wright that took his legs and then here comes T. Doom over top taking the roof off. I'm like, ooh, I'm like, that quarterback, hope he's alive after that. I'm like, oh my goodness. So I love seeing that um, replay watching local news at night, you know, going into the sports information on like WW, uh, KETV or something like that, uh, WOW, stuff like that. It was fun to see that. So me and um, we did a football camp together last year. Oh, in, nice. Uh, Colorado, in uh, Fort Collins, Josh Davis had put on and got time to hang out with them. And it's good to see those guys, you know, now to see how they're doing. I see their kids all growing up. He was able to bring his kids along. So very, uh, very excited for Troy to go into the Hall of Fame and Dave. That's awesome. Uh, a couple other guys that would have uh, played in the NFL the same time you did. Uh, Sam yeah. Cook from Seward, Nebraska, punter in the uh, early oh, yeah, 2000s. Yeah, punter, yep, uh, yep, for the Ravens a long time before he retired. And then a guy yep. I'm sure you had your fair share of run-ins with, Kyle Vandenbosch, now a member of the Ooh. Nebraska Football Hall of Fame. Yeah, he, yeah, he came in as a, a Cardinal first. Mm-hmm. Then he went to Tennessee Titans. I think we played more when he was in a cardinal uniform we played once i think i think we played twice or three times as a cardinal and then once as a titan or more but no great guy there 
Did he have the red contacts when you played against him? Yeah. Hey, I'll tell you the story. Hold up. So it's it's Tennessee week. And you know, I'm you know, in my routine, Wednesday practice, Thursday practice, Friday practice, getting ready for these Titans. And I can't remember which day, it's either Wednesday or Thursday, and a couple of my old linemen come up to me during practice. They've been watching film and then obviously obviously talking because linemen are the quiet is kept. Offensive linemen, defensive linemen are probably the smartest people on the field. I don't care what ESPN hmm. NFL Network says about the quarterback position. These the linemen, what they do, they have a nice little system of stuff, a communication. Obviously, they got to do things that are very hard every play. You know, you got to block a 300 pound plus guy who's pissed off and trying to sack your quarterback or take your running back down for a tackle for loss. So they talk. And so they do things like they do research on the players they got to play against to get under their skin because they do the trash talking in their ears. <laughs> and so through the grapevine, my lineman found out. So Marco, Mike Wall, Mike Flanagan, Mark Tauscher, Kevin Berry, um, Chad Clifton, they found out that Cal was rolling with the the uh, contacts, the red contacts to like intimidate people. And uh-huh. if you knew my offensive line back then, they weren't the ones you were trying to intimidate. They would literally attempt. They would flip it on you. They would intimidate you. So to them, they thought it was ha 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 funny, which it was even <laughs> during the game. It was there was like, man, what's this dude doing? Like, really? Is he really? Is this real? Is he this is a fictional thing? Is he really thinking this is gonna scare us? And so that was their take on his contacts. I was just like, <laughs> I was like, look, I'm a few years after him, so I wasn't there on campus. We haven't we we met a few times, you know, at events, you know, coming mm-hmm. down to a game or something. Chick so we kind of were around each other a little bit. Actually, he might have been a freshman. You would have been right at the end of your time. Yeah. End yeah, of he was a freshman. After. Yeah. Because I, mm-hmm. I know I had Dominic. I had Dom, uh, Dom, Dominic Rayoli. He was a bat out of hell as a freshman in practice. <laughs> did you like <laughs> that you as got. a running back? I did because he was offensive lineman. He was a center. And I think Kyle was the opposite on the other side of the ball. He was bat <laughs> out of hell in that, uh, for them. But then once he got to Tennessee, like I said, with the red contacts, I thought it was hilarious. Like my linemen were laughing at him. Like, oh, <laughs> this is his thing. But no, he was he, he that was his thing around. He said he did intimidate some guys, some offensive linemen around the league with that, with the contacts. Good, good job, good job, Kyle. I feel like you're not going to get a hundred percent success rate, but if you can get a guy or two, it might just be you know the one guy you got to beat, the edge you need. That's that's all you need. It's the one percent. Find know, the weak I, link. Been, exactly. What's that? What'd you say? Yeah, just find the weak link. Exactly. Find the weakest link. You just need that one or two percent change. I, I remember. You know, being on campus and first time meeting uh, Jack Stark, and uh, he's uh, describing what he, how he's going, how he could help us. You know, with sports psychology, if, if you got stresses, you got anxiety, nervousness, you're dealing with, come to me, I'm your guy. And I remember him in his, in his speech too. It's like his pitch was like, I'm here. You know, Coach Osborne hired me and a few other people that are on the staff for that one or two percent difference. That's his all it takes. Being at this level, we're all all the colleges that we're going to face, that we're going to compete with. There's not much difference between us in terms of athletic ability, in terms of coaching. We got great coaches. We got great players. So we're just looking for that one, two percent difference to make the touchdown, the the sack or whatever for that player to have that mental edge. That's that one or two percent difference. And, And that's pretty much what it took. You know, so I remember the first time hearing that from him. That's all you're looking for, like one, two percent change uh, hmm. in gameplay. 
That's it. So. Interesting. Uh, the last two guys for the Hall of Fame, then Taylor Martinez, quarterback, uh, and then Spencer Long uh, as an offensive lineman. This is something I want I want your take on, too. Obviously, in college, sure. the system you ran, you had mobile quarterbacks. You had two. That was that was yeah. your system, option-based. In the NFL, you know, Brett and Aaron, at least from TV, weren't necessarily statues, but they weren't going to, you know, obviously run like you guys were in college. So what was that adjustment like for you going from mobile quarterback, get out of trouble, lower the shoulder to guys that were maybe better in the pocket? Yeah. Um, I say when I got to Seattle, that's who I had. I had John Freeze and John Kitna. They weren't no scramblers. <laughs> they were great passers. So I, I was ready for it because I, I watched, I was a fan. So I watched college football, I watched pro ball. So I knew you know, once I got drafted and found out that Seattle was going to be my team, I knew that I got to hold my block a little longer. This is the NFL. We pass the ball a lot more than we're going to run the ball, way more than we ran at Nebraska. Mm -hmm. So I, mentally I was ready for it. And the biggest thing for me was picking up the defensive adjustments or defensive disguises because the defense is now defensive coordinators, the players, they knew – that for a quarterback, a rookie running back, if they can make it look like one defense and show, and it's actually a different defense, they're going to try to – they're going to win. They're going to take advantage of it. So it was, that was my toughest part. And that was year one for me. Just like any quarterback, my runner, being a running back, trying to understand audibles and um, O-line adjustments through the words that we use. It's cold because we're trying to not give away where we're <laughs> adjusting to. Mm -hmm. All that, you know, it, it was tough. But then by midseason, I had it down. Still had a couple rough, you know, just, you know, errors here. But, there were, you know, by my second, third year, yeah, then I could just – I could know I know what safety's coming down in the box mean. That's most likely a blitz or he's supporting somebody that's going to blitz. So it's just something that you, you had to learn about it, you know, as you went. You know, it was part of it. Right. So, a player. so defenses are trying to trick offenses, right, with the disguised coverages. Offenses then are trying yeah. to trick defenses back with, like you said, the, the code – do defenses yeah. like listen to film with the volume up so they can hear what your your code is and try to break it? Kind of like MLB sign stealing almost? Something like that. I, and I, I'm glad you brought this up. The defenses, the teams are so diabolical in this sense. So between <laughs> potential where they'll have players call their college teammate if they have them on another team that they're about to play against and say, hey, say if that player is a linebacker and he he's a, and he's a Jet. And we're about to play the Jets. And one of my teammates went to college with him. They, that coach will ask that player, hey, can you call your, your former teammate that just played against this team and see what some of their line calls were? <laughs> <laughs> so simple as just picking up the phone and say, hey, man, y'all just played the uh, Packers. Um, what was some of their line adjustment word that you heard <laughs> on, the, <laughs> on the football field? Another thing, number two, and this is why you see the coaches – for a long time do this because they have lip readers on the sideline <laughs> on the, on the sideline yes <laughs> so they have a the backup quarterbacks are usually the ones that read the lips if the coach that's calling the plays defensively or offensively doesn't do this they are reading the lips so they're gonna say oh yeah it's two jet da, 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 da. it's fox two xy hook it's it's a uh, green right uh 98 blast. So if they that's why you see college coaches and pro coaches do this the whole game. For the ones that don't put up the big billboards like some of the colleges do, they put up like just pictures that don't make sense, but it makes sense to the players on offense or the defensive side of the ball. In high school, one of the high schools I coached at at Freedom, 
we did that. And so I, I, I was like, oh, this is that now makes sense <laughs> <laughs> on why we put these uh, smoke signals up to people on the defensive or offensive side of the ball. So that terminology, <laughs> does that change? constantly does it change at all because i'm sure for guys that are on the team for a while like the consistency would be nice but at the same time if you have the people that are trying to steal it do you ever have to switch up what the code is oh uh, yeah it probably switches up week to week now Ooh. like before my towards <laughs> the end of my career between 05 04 and 06 and then i say 06 to 09 it was literally every week in the first half of my <sighs> career we could probably run our audibles are line calls the whole season but then we noticed that d line and linebackers were picking up on it and then we were like okay we got to do this so we started doing it week by week every other week we're switching stuff up and we had hand signals you know you thought we were gang members we were throwing, you know, <laughs> and pointing at our head or pulling on our ear like baseball you know mm-hmm. you're like uh, uh-uh, you know uh-uh, uh-uh, uh-uh. <laughs> you know doing all types <laughs> because now the backup we knew then the backup quarterback or one of the defensive players is the player that's trying to decipher this code so they can find out oh they're going right with the ball or they're going to go left or they're throwing a the ball to the slot receiver or to the to the uh, wide receiver over here you know so mm-hmm. it, it it got it got interesting were there any were there any defenders that you could tell picked up on it like whether it was a team in the NFC North or AFC South that you're like this dude knows what we're up to we got to do something different a hundred percent. It was crazy. I remember playing. It might have been. We didn't play the Ravens a whole lot because they were AFC. Mm-hmm. And I think the one time we did, and there was another linebacker too. It might have been Derrick Brooks. Obviously, great court, great court linebacker. And then the other one was Ray Lewis. Mm-hmm. And I swear to God, like I don't even know. I'm ch- I still to this day. It's like nobody was even talking. And he said, it's a draw. It's a draw. I'm like, oh, like in my head, I'm like, what are we going to do? <laughs> like in my head, I'm sitting like, I throw my hands up like, he knows the play here. <laughs> What's up? I'm like, And sure enough, it was a draw. <laughs> and, and I'm just getting in my stance. And then I check the defense. You know, I'm checking the back, the defensive backfield. And just as I come back to like kind of look him in the eye and see where he's lined up. It's a draw. It's a draw. I'm just like I did, and I, I and I did a poker face. I was just like, this dude just figured it out. But okay, we still got to run this play. <laughs> so yeah, and that's even more and impressive. Then, like you said, you're not playing him a lot. No, we only played him one. Like I think I played the Ravens a handful of times in my career. I could uh, once as the Texan, and once as a as a Packer. So twice in '09, and then the Texans in '08. Wow. That's it. And we played the AFC. That was AFC North. So that was Pittsburgh. Like, I only played Pittsburgh twice in mm. my career. And if I was on the, the, the Super Bowl team, I would, that would have been the third time <laughs> that I played them <laughs> if I was on that roster. You know, it was, it was crazy. Fascinating. Yeah. Ray Lewis is a Very telepath. Bad. That's what we learned. Yeah. And he's, he was a good player. I mean, he did his homework. Mm-hmm. I remember watching some old film of him talking to Mike Singletary. They have Michael Sing- Mike Singletary as your linebacker coach. It's like, come on. Really? You cheat. That's that's a cheat code. Well, we well, as we say in the East of video game world, that's a cheat code. Cheat code, yeah. So I, I saw him, you know, they had a little camera, you know, they had a camera following him when he was still playing. And I remember Sim watching film, breaking stuff down with Mike, and he asked Mike, 
He said, or he said, I'm gonna steal all your tricks. I know you got tricks as linebackers, tricks and, <laughs> and running backs. We do too. We got little things that we, you know, we gotta, we do. That's like frowned upon if you know, you know, linebackers don't like it when we do things. So same thing, linebackers or running backs don't like things that that linebackers do. And so, you know, Mike was like, oh, I, you know, when you when you gotta do a one a man on man, you know, coverage on a line, running back coming out the backfield, and DBs do this too. You kind of grab his jersey as he gets close to you. Just grab his, just grab a little bit of jersey. Just do it enough, but do it where you're don't don't extend. Let the running back come to you. So where you just could grab like right on you. So you could grab him. Just give you a little little push as you're trying to break on the ball. So I remember seeing that that part of the the interview. And I'm like, oh, that makes sense. So I, that's where I learned even if they did grab me, I would knock their hand off. Mm. Was just paying attention. And I'm like, if the best in the league is doing that. Then I already know these other jokers are doing the same, trying to do the same thing. So okay, I got you. You know, you know, I'll pick up on that game recognized green linebacker. That's just the thing. It's it's again that one to two percent, right? The little tug that, mm-hmm. that can make a difference sometime. He's Amon mm-hmm. Green. I'm Austin Norman back in Lincoln. We gotta take our first break yeah. of the show. And then AG, I think you got some esports news we'll get into yeah. in segment some fun two. Stuff. Excellent. Video That's, game stuff. Let's yep. do it. That's the play in segment two of the Amon Green show next. This is the Amon Green Show on 93.7 The Ticket and theticketfm.com. Welcome back to the show. Austin and I have been chit-chatting about a little bit of everything. Nebraska sports, some of my pro career, and how teams and preferably, I say specifically linebackers, figure out I don't know the plays that's coming at you. <laughs> but now we're going to delve into my other passion that I love that I'm doing. I'm director of esports at Nebraska and head coach. Um, but just more of the video game space, the esports realm. And one of the biggest things I just put on, uh, I shared it with you, Austin, on the dock, is that the Overwatch League may be possibly ending which is interesting to hear. It's been about seven years. So let's explain this. Let's unpack this. So the league was established in 2017 by uh, Activision Blizzard. That was just, was we talked last week about them being bought by Microsoft. So Activision Blizzard, Blizzard, this last four or five years has been turbulent, needless to say, where during COVID, they had the whole, all the allegations of sexual harassment, frat boy culture, all that come out. And then the CEO, uh, Kotek, had to pretty much step down and then get the rules reset and guidelines and protocols to now retrain and get the culture right in the building for Activision Blizzard. So you got all that going on. And then now you have this where they have two leagues. They have the Overwatch 2 League and they have the Call of Duty League. And with the Overwatch 2 League, since it started, it was a buy-in. So if you wanted to start a team from the ground up with the Overwatch League, it started with 12 teams at $20 million per team. Woo. Okay. And then a few years after that, they raised the stakes up to thir- almost $35, $40 million per year for a franchise, along with overhead costs. So mm-hmm. I'm just painting this picture as you lead into – June of 2020 or July of 2023. So that's 2017, 2018, 2019, 2020, where franchises are buying in 
And they're doing the whole traditional sports model of having regional teams, L.A., New York, China, Paris, China. Um, I think a team in Japan, too. So international teams that have to play against our domestic teams here, too. So that's a lot of travel. Like I mentioned, overhead as well. So along with that, we had, like I mentioned, COVID. So then things had to be pushed to on you know virtual online. So they did a 2020 exclusive deal with YouTube. So I don't know how that either benefited them or not, but it just helped with where teams could actually play against each other. And there was viewership, you know, there to make sure they had still that because the viewership had peaked at a high level of four, you know, year one, you had a peak viewing of 437,000 people watching Overwatch League. Dang. And they averaged along that season, 140,627 fan viewership per year now they're at a peak of 118,000 and some change where it's only averaging 55,000 viewers per uh stream so that's youtube i believe youtube and twitch so big huge drop off there you know for them and this information i'm getting over at www.com uh dextro if i'm saying that right dot com mm-hmm. um and so but i know this league has been around this is when i started you know my path of where i'm at now so this was news to me you know and this is stuff i'm reading about hearing about i had friends that actually worked in and around the overwatch league the nba 2k league so i was getting updates word of mouth from them so this is kind of stuff i was like learning on the go and so previously so night right now overwatch team has 19 teams and they're those 19 teams are paying you know are are had paid that 20 million or that 35 million to be in this league along with the overhead costs and so you know for them to be potentially shutting down obviously knowing the viewership you know this is where i pose the the theory of this i've said this to a lot of friends of mine that not just overwatch league call of duty league nba 2k league any league out there for esports that is supported that is you know it's a collective bargaining thing that is that where teams that's where sponsors have to go they have to go into a collective collective bargaining agreement to sustain because as the esports industry, the video game industry is built, it's it's in some cases and in most cases, it's built in silos. You got Microsoft doing their thing. They got Sony doing their thing. We got EA Sports doing their thing to separately. And mm-hmm. then every now and then they'll collaborate on one event or two events or something in a game or whatever. That's it. But funding-wise, there's no shared funding. And so this is my theory where esports will again, just like having traditional team set up around the countries around the world, they wanna have to do this in the sustainability department too, is to collective bargaining together with all the teams, all the sponsors. Because if you don't do that, and then the grass, and then you bring in grassroots level, which is us, which is college, high school on down to elementary school, where you have programs that there's curriculum. There's activities from activations, tournaments, seasons for high school, college or high school, yeah, college and elementary level kids. So you have that grassroots growth of the next Valorant player, mm-hmm. League of Legends player, Madden player, similar like there's Little League football, there's Little League baseball, there's AAU, there's everything supporting traditional sports, because if you don't do that, it's going to you know falter and fail. And so this is my theory that esports mm-hmm. they're gonna have to sit down all the leaders at overwatch league activision microsoft now ea um because they they 
lost their contract with FIFA. So now it's just FC. So stuff like that won't happen when the advertising dollars are being shared and divvied out like the NFL, like the NBA, like Major League Baseball. So that's my theory. But that for, so it's, to me, it's kind of no surprise because I've been hearing a lot of not just them, but other leagues, other companies struggling to fit the bill for being who they are, you know, trying to entertain us as gamers out there. So, yeah, I love that. I love that theory. It makes a lot of sense to me, too. And the thing I think that is most important about the collective bargaining agreement is Mm -hmm. collective, right? I mean, you have the AFL NFL merger, they come together, but in a collective bargaining agreement, not everyone gets exactly what they want, right? It's not 100% lopsided one way. And that's where I think the gaming industry for so long, like you mentioned, the silos has been Mm -hmm. segmented, but the key word is exclusivity, right? They want their games on their platform, you know, to make the most money off of that, which works, you know, if you have, you know, a certain developer that you work well with, they want to release their game just on your platform, whatever, that's fine. But if you Mm -hmm. want to go with a league, something that's bigger than yourself, you're not going to be able to have enough money to keep it sustainable if you just look inside yourself. Like, I was reading that article you sent, too. The buy-ins that teams had, the 20 to 35 million, most of them haven't even paid it in full. So I love... love, It's like a layaway program. Exactly. And that's no way to to grow. It's just not. So I get what they're going for by, you know, shooting for the moon. But this is where you can't do that if you, you know, haven't built the rocket yet, right? You've got to start somewhere. And yep. if it grows to where you can charge $20 million to enter, that's great. But this is where I think more games moving cross-platform could be big yep. um, to, to force these different companies to work together. Because they can have a pretty big pie of their own if they continue yeah. with the exclusivity model. But... You can have more than just your own pie. You can get even more, even though it's coming from the same pie, if you collectively bargain. Put all that money together and split it up like that. The pie can grow bigger and you can get more of it, even yeah. though it's not 100% yours. 100% teamwork makes the dream work. Mm. Um, we're seeing it with the NFL right now. Um, we're seeing quarterbacks, Pat Mahomes was the first, to have a $500 million contract. I, I knew that as a player, you know, being that I, I got wiser as I got older, watching contracts go up because of the collective bargaining that we had with Nike, Gatorade, mm. Pepsi, Geico, that also were sponsored partnership with the NFL mm-hmm. and all 32 NFL teams, all 30 or 25 some odd NBA teams, baseball teams as well. That's what that's what I knew was coming. So for me, I was like, I'm happy for these kids. Mm-hmm. You know, Pat Mahomes, you know, Ezekiel Elliott when he got his ninety million dollar contract. I'm like, Oof. my biggest contract, you know, it's still a lot of money. I'm not complaining here. I'm just sticking facts. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I have a five year, twenty five million dollar contract back in two thousand one. Five million dollar signing bonus. And then every year basically I gotta earn my other five million in the five years to get mm-hmm. my twenty five million. Yeah. But of course, and you gotta remember. And I remind people all the time, uh, it's this thing called Uncle Sam, it's called taxes. <laughs> right. <laughs> so I'm getting half. So you see that $25 million on Center on NFL Network. No, no, no. Uh, radio station. No, 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 no. You see that $25 That $25 million is actually whatever that is. In 12 and a half? 12 and a half? Yeah. After taxes? Right. You know, so Pat Mahomes, yeah, it's $500 million, but this 
let's just take that. Let me just give me half. That's what Uncle Sam's saying. Right. So well, he got two two hundred and fifty million. Just a reminder for people. Right. It, it's, it's sickening just to say it. Like, ugh. ugh. I, I can barely <laughs> fathom two hundred fifty sometimes, let alone million. But it's funny you bring that up because Strick talked about the same thing on the block, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. About how the the NBA salary cap has like doubled in the last ten years. Where good for these guys, you know, but that money's coming from somewhere. It's not coming from nowhere. So that's where Correct. it's good that I think there are the, you know, the local deals to promote your product, what you do, your team, whatever it is. But the explosion yep. comes from pooling everything together. That's where the big money exactly. comes from. Exactly. You have, uh, like in the NBA years ago, 30 years ago, when we had 40 years ago, when we had Michael Jordan come into the NBA. That was a a shot in the arm for mm-hmm. the NBA because then from not only Nike, we saw the story. If you didn't see the movie that came out air, mm-hmm. but if you lived it like myself, I already knew that story. So it gave life to the NBA because it was struggling at that time. Now you have this phenomenal athlete coming in. Now ticket sales are up across the board. Cause why that player, that team is going to play in every stadium around the NBA. Mm-hmm. So people are going to, if you're a Bullets fan at that time, if you are a, a Clippers fan at that time, you are a Lakers fan, you're going to go see Michael Jordan play, even though he's not on the team you're rooting for. Mm-hmm. So same with Pat Mahomes and same with these esports kids, the ones that are the prominent players, they fans going to want to come to see the best players in these on the Overwatch team, on the Call of Duty team, you know, play. The, that's And then that pool of money, like you mentioned, it gets to get debbied up and then where a franchise is not just keeping himself up at body bootstraps, basically. Right. And they shouldn't be doing that and being a professional organization for uh, for pro league. Right. So that's another, I think, difference between esports and traditional sports. Obviously, esports has in-person events, right? And they're huge. Plenty mm-hmm. of people come. They're selling out football stadiums and all, all sorts yep. of arenas and that sort of thing. But also, so much of it is done via the internet, via stream. And that's why those numbers you mentioned with the concurrent viewers and then the average viewers per stream is so big where mm-hmm. is more of the money in esports is it in the daily streams or is it in these big events that you have every quarter every year something like that i say just from experience i'm gonna go off the in-person events um a little bit and then there's a little bit percentage off the stream mm. twitch youtube and now there's a new platform called kick, kick. yeah and i'm not sure kick and all the other, you know, I don't know if Overwatch League teams have a kick account yet. Because mm. I know the revenue share is a little bit better than Twitch and probably similar to more similar to YouTube. So that's where you go. That's why Overwatch League did the YouTube exclusive deal in 2020 during COVID and, you know, that year. Um, so that's the next question is where they made revenue. I mean, it said, also says in an article where it talked about their retail sales on their apparel. You know, they have really cool. Uh, logos really cool team names so that whole regional along with you know logos because we know nba nfl that green Bay packer g everybody knows what that is Mm -hmm. and where it you know it can't be copied you know if you do you're in trouble (laughs) people in green bay is gonna call you up so having something like that that is it's everywhere and their fans want to wear it and want to support it that's another part of the pie where if they master this thing and it's not recreating the wheel they could just look at what traditional sports is doing and then take that and use it. But they got to be willing 
and opened enough. When I and when I also when I say they, it's the people that run Overwatch League, the people that run Activision Blizzard, Microsoft now, those folks, EA Sports, those folks, 2K Sports that are open to say, hey, let's do this because we want to keep this ball rolling and we're going to make more money than what we were probably going to make by ourselves. We could triple that, double that. Mm-hmm. And then now we have a ecosystem that's going to support from kids on from the adolescent age all the way to pro level. And then now these events like E3, uh, DreamHack, PAX, it's going to be even better because now we can send a pro player from the Overwatch team to in that local city if they're in Boston or if they're in uh, Houston to go be sign autographs or whatever. And they bring more fans to that event. So mm-hmm. it's a it's a it's a what's a it's like a trade off. You do this and this will happen. This is a cause and effect. So hopefully they see that um, reading and hearing the deadline. They have a vote on it coming on um, at the end of the season. End of the season is September 28th through October 1st. That is the final weekend for the Overwatch League for this year. So hopefully next year will be a year for for the next for the, for over for 2024 so that they got i think till the end of the season to make that final vote of what exactly if they're going to have the watch Tule come back in 2024 i obviously me being who i am being a coach being a gamer passing yes i want it back hope they make that vote and figure out the formula to make this work and where you basically stop the bleeding you know everywhere for all the teams involved and for the league itself involved Absolutely. Uh, Let's take our final break. Come back uh, with one more segment of the Amon Green Show next. This is the Amon Green Show on 93.7 The Ticket and theticketfm.com. All right, back up. Closing up the last, what, seven minutes to go. And uh, to the chat real quick, uh, Clone Trooper. One of my players there is right. You know, while the league may be ending, we don't know, but potentially, uh, it doesn't mean the pro scene will be over, as he says. Same with Call of Duty League. They hope long term um, would be a third party or running it open league instead of franchising. So open league is what has been the pro the path to pro part of it. But they still they obviously have the capacity to run it just like it um the pro side of it as the pro as the uh, path to pro league. So that'll be something to keep your eyes out for. If you're a fan or a gamer, if you play call of duty, you play overwatch two and you play any game for that matter, because even like smash super smash brother went through this a year ago with Pando. And that was an organizer who had run professional smash brother tournaments and had a little discourse with Nintendo and Nintendo wanted to do their own thing. And so, they, they cut ties. And so that dropped out a whole professional scene. But there were still Smash Brothers players out there wanting to compete. And they did, you know, there were tournaments still out there for them to compete in and stuff like that. So, you know, even though you cut off a head, another one grows. That is the the, the moniker here. Hopefully <laughs> keep that going. But uh, for the esports team, man, it just, we got, we're about a, about a month away. You know, school starts uh, August 21st. And so before that date, I'll be back in town and then we'll, I know I'll start talking to the players, uh, um, Z, the president about tryouts for all these teams. I know I've been in conversations with, we still recruiting players. We have a few players that we're talking to. She just uh, forwarded me some information on a smash player. And then Christian who is uh, helps out with our Valorant team. 
um, we're talking back and forth about uh, a recruit that plays Valorant and just watch a film on him to see if he's that guy or, mm. you know, that that type of player. We got to break down the film with him. And he's going to do a live sit down with that player and uh, watch some film and give me some tips on stuff I can you know, squeak out a good player. When, I, when I'm watching a game, Valorant game. Okay, so you're watching film. Do you watch, like, if he's on a team right now, do you watch that as, like, game film, and do you watch, like, public matches as practice film? Is that kind of the, the analog, or what are you looking for in film? Um, well, you know, I'm looking for a full game uh, match, practice or scrim, and then I'm looking for their game mechanics. I'm listening for their audio, how they're talking to their teammates, how they're talking to their teammates in terms of giving them information if they just got shot and given the layout of the land, Hey, I'm one shot on the left side of the map or watching their, their knowledge of the game, knowing their map, seeing their map awareness, knowing when to rotate. Valorant is a real tactical game. So you got to know certain moments. You got to rotate back to one point to another to cover your teammate, um, to make sure your teammate has somebody in the area to either plant the bomb or, get the shot off because a headshot and a perfect headshot is, is, a, is what you want in Valorant. And that's what the pros do. And that's what college teams that are very good do. And so you're looking for all those little tidbit things for a player at the high school level, obviously at the college level to be that player. And that's one reason why the club team has done tryouts. And that's the part I like, you know, is I, I wish tryouts were earlier because then I could have them, you know, use the players, have the players that are, are recruiting to be in them. So they're a little later towards uh, school starting, which is okay. We can still work out, you know, finding out a roster for all the teams that will be competing in in the fall, which is uh, Valorant, Overwatch 2, uh, Rocket League, uh, League of Legends, Call of Duty. And then we have our uh, Apex Legends and Rainbow Six and other games that the club team just played. And I say also, I'm, I'm excited just for another school. Now I'll be in a full, starting my full school year here on campus here in the fall which would be fun because football starts in the fall along with all the other sports and i'm a coach now mm-hmm. so i'm I, I say one thing i'm excited about is uh god i can't i'll draw him a blank uh the volleyball coach oh man. john cook john cook he invited me to his like invited me to uh the volleyball game so i'm like yo <laughs> i'm like I got you, coach. I said, I'm there. I can't wait. So I get to see football and volleyball, and now I get to watch in the stand. I'd be like, man, because I've always talked to my friends here in Wisconsin. Like, look, we play some good volleyball mm-hmm. in Nebraska. Oh, yeah. You know, so now I get to see it firsthand in a long time. I haven't seen it since I was on campus back back on uh, back in the late 90s, mid-90s. <laughs> so I'm excited to see the ladies. So, um, so- so now that you have, spike that ball around, oh for sure. Since you have John Cook's ear, it was just announced today they're getting five mil in NIL. So see if you can uh, ask him for a, a little bit of that to be moved to the esports coffers. Maybe exactly. How, <laughs> well, we got to win games. I know that for that's one reason how to start up money, today. right? Start up money, right? That's some startup money. Exactly. We need that. We got some <laughs> good teams. We got a good Call of Duty team, League of Legends, Valorant, Overwatch Two, Rocket League yeah. teams. We got smash players that'll beat you up in the game. You know. <laughs> Please, we need it. We need the finances because we have equipment <laughs> that's just waiting at a dock right now, Ooh. and we waiting for that money to come through. So, somebody, <laughs> anybody listening to this show, pass the word, relay the message to any potential sponsors. My number. You can find me on here. You can call a station on the number. We'll we'll get you information, my information. <laughs> and uh, like Coach Trooper said, we're winning the Natty this year, the national title. 
for Call of Duty. Yes, we are. Yes, we are. So uh, good show today, man. Yes, Austin sir. Went fast. Went super it did. fast. Yeah. Sure did. We're going to have to get two hours in. 